Captain Curls up in the head. Mutiny Radio Festival, ahoy! Ah, very good. Ah, very good, Legless Joe. I'm surprised you can see from the crow's nest with no legs. It's to get ready. Crew, the festival is upon us. Scurvy Steve, how many comics? Over a hundred comics. You're looking good, Scurvy Steve. Glad the scurvy hasn't taken you. Aye, aye, Captain. You, no liver Mary, how many venues? We've got nine venues, sir. And you, boy, what's your name? Very good. And finally, Eleven Fingers Sally. What about the tickets? You can find all of your tickets on Eventbrite, sir. Check out www.mutinyradio.fm. Arr! What is that? I don't know what a website is. I'm a pirate. <laughs> but f- quick to the festival. All sales ahead. Arr! Pirate Arr! noises. Ambiance. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice. LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. Namaste. Every Monday at 6 p.m., it's Joke Workshop, streaming live on mutinyradio.fm. Lift the veil from your third eye on joke creation and what it takes to be a stand-up comic in the five shakasanas of San Francisco's comedy scene. This all-ages open mic invites comedy. Oh, pre-sign by Venmoing 2 to $5 at Mutiny Radio. Join us live for a small and special audience at the Mutiny Radio studio and gallery performance space, 2781 21st Street at Florida Street in the deep, deep, deep mission. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Does my ponytail look cool? We must fight for the city's side. 
Yes, you're listening to Labor and Love Radio. This is the mutiny coming at you. Money speaks for money, the devil for his own. Who comes to speak for the skin and the bone? What a comfort to the widow. So bagging groceries on base for just tips, no salary. Wouldn't even make enough in one day to buy a CD. So next thing you know, mom's is picking me up from jail for stealing CDs of blockbusters. Back in the days when I was a teenager, minimum wage earning, rocking an apron. I was pushing hella carts, asking plastic or paper to bastard ass customers. Plus, most of us had relatives working in the same supermarket. When boss wasn't looking, rolled the dice on the carpet in the lunchroom, listening to Biggie and Nas, but not as much as Snoop, 40, Water, and Pac. Me, I rock the Walkman instead, writing rhymes in my head, often bored. I'd recite them out loud and memorize a song long before I write it down. In lunchroom freestyles is where I learned to clown. Plantation style, yellow, brown, black, majority. Half the young cats either enlisted in the Army or the Navy or Marines. But I was having dreams, and I ain't even halfway there yet. It seems that we never get paid what our labor is worth. It's why we often in a daze on the way to our work. And when we get there, we can't wait to be out. So let me tell you what it's about. And now we never get paid what our labor is worth It's why we often in a daze on the way to our work And when we get there, we can't wait to be out So let me tell you what it's about So you do telemarketing, right? 7 a.m. shifts on the West Coast means we're calling the East Coast And on 9-11, this fool tries to fire me for refusing to make calls during the air The next place of employment's no better than this My first day thinking this some fucking office space shit But not me, boss These conditions ain't suitable High dependent pad right Rhymes in a cubicle, automated phone click, dial tone, cold calling, hoping for some gullible folks to take the offer. A mission for commission, tuition for college. Please put our number on your do not call list. Half the whole staff graduated with honors, and you're trying to tell me telemarketing's your best job. 
job options? This shit is not popping. Working to the bone, living at home, facing up debt and student loans. Now the manager's a tool and a clown. But productivity increases anytime he's nowhere to be found. In this tight ass environment, makes me wanna earl. Like watching Flavor Flav tongue kissing old girl. Now we never get paid what our labor is worth. That's why we often in the days on the way to our work. And when we get there, we can't wait to be out. So let me tell you what it's about. And now we never get paid what our labor is worth. That's why we often in the days on the way to our work. And when we get there, we can't wait to be out. So let me tell you what it's about. Nah, so like every job I've ever had, there's always been some kind of side hustle, whether it's sneaking into working games, at the paper, I was either slanging media guides or slanging them CDs. And, uh, you know, just get above that minimum wage. The dot com phenomenon. Fuck the city, raw stock market falls down. Hundred thousand laid off. Got with Amazon.com. It had a lot of cross dresses, goth cats, ex cons, and single moms on the elevator up. My Walkman on. Flash a badge for security. The mark of the beast. But with skills to persuade through speech, you be amazed to see how many customer service reps are MCs. At each instance, different job descriptions. What kept the brother going was the music that I listened to. Initiate the day with an anthem to work through. Then the supervisor started blasting Dave Matthews. Shit is bad news. Working for some assholes in suits, straight singing middle management blues. And so I quit on the last day of training. And when I got home, my notebook was waiting. I said we never get paid what our labor is worth. That's why we often in the days on the way to our work. And when we get there, we can't wait to be out. So let me tell you what it's about. And now we never get paid what our labor is worth. That's why we often in the days on the way to our work. And when we get there, we can't wait to be out. I told you what this shit is about. Come all you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? We're starting our good battle, we know we're sure to win. Because we've got the gun thugs a-looking very thin. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? If you go to Harlan County, there is no neutral there. You'll either be a union man or a thug for J.H. Blair. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? From all of you good workers, good news to you I'll tell Of how the good old union has come in here to dwell Which side are you on? Which side are you on? My daddy was a miner and I'm a miner's son And I'll stick with the union till every battle's won which side are you on? Which side are you on? They say in Harlan County there are no neutrals there. You'll either be a union man or a thug for J.H. Blair. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Oh, workers, can you stand it? Oh, tell me how you can. 
Will you be a lousy scab or will you be a man? Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Don't scab for the bosses, don't listen to their lies. Us poor folks haven't got a chance unless we organize. Which side are you on? 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 Okay, good morning, everybody. Good morning, labor and lovers. Laborers and lovers. This is the B, and after a one-week rest, we're back with you today. Let's see what we got. We started out there with that with that first set. Last one was Which Side Are You On? That was uh, Lawrence Reese introducing the song. And um, Pete Seeger interpreting it. This is one of the most famous labor songs of all time. Came from a strike in the early 30s in Harlan County, coal country, Kentucky. And Florence Reese and her husband were on the picket line organizing and uh, agitating for a better deal for miners. And the company goons came to their house and started rummaging around. And they were looking for her husband who had ducked out. And while they were turning her house upside down and searching, she had the idea for this song, and it's a song that is going around the country again. The question, which side are you on? A lot of people will say, oh, that's, uh, that's reductionist, you know, that's, that's not really, you know, the way things are. Well, how are things? Sometimes it comes down to that very thing. They'll either be a union man or a scab for J.H. Blair. You'll either help the corporations or you'll help the workers. There's no middle ground. Before that, we had proletarian blues with the clash, with a beautiful, succinct, a demonstration of the pay structure in a wage in a wage job, okay? The theory of surplus value, meaning that you as a worker will produce more value than you're paid for. And the difference, that profit is what goes to the bosses. The boards of directors, the uh, CEOs, that's how they get rich. That's where wealth comes from. 
It's the difference between the value of what you produce, the value that your time gets for the boss, and what you're paid. So if you earn $10 worth of value for your boss, your boss might pay you $5 and keep the extra 5 that's where great fortunes come from. That's the beginning of value. That's where value comes from. Power in a Union by Billy Bragg. Took an old uh, labor song and uh, reinterpreted it. Okay, so if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table, that is where you work, you're on the menu. Never never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor it's only a waste of time. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. Shout out right now to Brother Jim Miller, resuscitating after a close call, I understand, with a liver. Hope he's doing well. Hello to his wife. And cohort, Kelly, and uh, their son, Walt. All right, well, what do we got for you today? Uh, let's see. Take a look. A new song, a newly discovered song that uh, was developed by a friend of a cousin of mine. Cousin Denny was good enough to uh, let me see this and We'll read it over, see if we can find something in the meaning. The uh, words are called about a, a punch operator and the injuries happen. Labor History in Two, a podcast by Rick Smith, one of our regular features. Situation Room talks about Striking Hollywood writers and people like Drew Barrymore and uh, Bill Maher who tried to squeeze in and do their shows. A little humor in the, in the fact that uh, now you can get movie stars to watch walk your kids. Empty work. This is a new feature on the show and it's Sort of an inside look at the lives of workers on the job. Uh, Karl Marx identified the employer-employee relationship as the ancestor, as the descendant of the master-slave relationship, the lord and serf relationship. And all you've got to do is read some of these 
testimony and see the connection. When will the writer's strike end? Update on Hollywood's big dispute. Lives of UAW workers who are on strike. That strike has just been extended. Radio Labor, one of our regular regular features coming back now summer rest best working class songs and the 25 best hip hop songs featured and in case you didn't know or didn't remember viva la independencia mexican independence day we missed it last week but we're all over it today Short history of September 16th. Best working class song. 25 best hip hop songs. We're drawing inspiration from all over the place. Listen to Radio Labor. On Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, September 22nd, 2023. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, how unions in Ukraine are coping with the war. Unions fighting back against right-wing attacks on trans people. The Labor Start report about union events and singing... This is Radio Labor. Labor unions in Ukraine are wholeheartedly supporting their government in the war against Russian aggression. But at the same time, the government is trying to weaken labor legislation in the country. I spoke to Eric Lee about the unions in Ukraine. Eric is the founding editor of Labor Start, the labor movement's news and campaigning service. I reached him while he was in Kiev this week, meeting with various labor and civic society organizations. I asked him why he was in Ukraine. I've come to Ukraine to find out what's going on here, to talk to trade unionists, to workers, uh, to learn what their needs are, and to find out how we can help them. Who have you met? I've had endless meetings. I've forgotten who most of them were, but I've, I met with the leaders of the two trade union confederations, the FPU and the KVPU. And some of their staff, I met with the head of the teachers' union, one of the largest unions. I met with people from the railway workers, aviation workers, left-wing groups, and LGBTQI activists, and people from the Solidarity Center. Who is setting up all of these meetings for you? A lot of them were people that I knew through the, the Ukraine Solidarity Campaign in Britain, which has been very successful, and the Solidarity Center, which is you know, run by the AFL-CIO, has really good connections. They've been helpful. They've me meeting rooms also, and they arrange by travel. So the people that you have been meeting, what are they telling you? Yeah, they tell me lots of things. I'm going to have to write quite a bit about this. But basically, they're, they're, they're quite tough, the Ukrainians. You know, they're, they're not going to be pushed around, and the unions are part of the Ukrainian nation. They're absolutely 100% on the side of their country in this war and doing everything they can. They're standing firm. That's what they're telling me. What's been the, the impact of the war on Ukraine's workers and their unions that they've been telling you about? The impact has been, of course, 
terrible, catastrophic in some sectors of the economy, like aviation, are completely shut down. Other sectors have been, you know, massive cuts to what they can do. I've heard things like the teachers, their salaries have been dropping, plummeting to like 200 euros a month. Even in a cheap country, it's way too low. They're really suffering. And of course, they have very large numbers of members of the unions have been drafted or volunteered for the army. In some cases, the 20% of, of union members have gone off to the front. These are staggeringly high numbers. So the impact has been a, a massive blow to the working people out of the union. So tell me about the unions. What role have they been playing in the war? Yeah, you know, I've seen this in practice. This is an extraordinary thing. You walk into the headquarters of the KVPU, which is the second largest federation, and the first thing you see are all the, the rolls of, of, of film to cover windows and the bandages and all the medical equipment. And Solidarity said there was a whole room full of this stuff. They're collecting aid. And they're sending cars and trucks out to the uh, the front lines and giving them out to the villages that are being under bombardment and giving aid to the members of the army. There's a lot of, kind of popular support for the army and people are bringing them stuff and helping take care of them. So direct practical intervention is what I'm seeing a lot of. Now, I have to ask you this question. Before the sure. war started, that which is more than a year ago now, yes. there, were, there were stories about... Unions not being treated very well by the government in Ukraine. Has that changed or has it just been set aside because of the, of the combat? It hasn't been entirely set aside. In fact, a year ago, last summer, had the war been going on for six months, the government decided this was a good time to introduce labor legislation that would weaken the unions. And the unions asked uh, me and Labor Start to launch a big international campaign, which we did, calling on the government to back down. The government backed out a bit, but they remained committed to this kind of labor law reform that'll weaken the unions. So I asked the unions, like, what do you think of, of your government? And one of them said to me today, it was, it was the best answer I heard. He said, we have the same enemy. Well, that would be an answer, wouldn't it? That Yeah. It, it would be an answer. So I guess when you have the Russian army at your throat, the labor legislation kind of pales in significance. So tell us, what do they need from the international labor movement? Yeah, first of all, I mean, they need solidarity, right? They need a sense that people understand what's going on here and are on their side. So the decision about Britain's trade union congress this week, I don't know if you're going to report on that in radio labor, but they made a historic decision expressing full support for the people of Ukraine against the Russian aggression, and that's fantastic. They love it when trade union leaders come over here for visits. I'm, I'm not the first trade unionist to come. I'm not the last. The head of the ITUC and head of the ETUC are coming next month. So that kind of support, coming and visiting, sending them stuff, and of course sending them aid, you know, the American Federation of Teachers gave them a whole bunch of generators for schools, the stuff they really, really need. You know, they can't rely on power and stuff like that. So they're, they want practical support and they want messages of solidarity. They want to know that they're not alone. One of the tactics used by fascists is to pick a topic like gender identity and then lie about how schools are indoctrinating children. This is happening all over the world. As an example, hundreds of demonstrators held rallies in Canada this week to attack trans people and schools that are helping children who are struggling with their identities. Unions organized many counter-rallies. One of the labor organizations which opposed the right-wing demonstrations was the Canadian Union of Public Employees branch in the province of Ontario, known as CUPE Ontario. I talked to the president of the organization, Fred Hahn, about the demonstrations. Mr. Hahn, why do you think these rallies against trans people and others were held? 
I think it's actually been well documented by groups like the Center for Hate on Bias and Extremism that in fact these rallies were funded and organized by far-right extreme groups. These are the same folks who tried a number of years ago to whip up a fervor against Islamophobia and against immigrants. This is another attempt to divide our communities. And this time, they've decided to try to persuade, well, to lie, frankly, lie to parents in order to bring division into our communities. And they've decided to target trans youth, some of the most vulnerable folks in our communities. It is despicable. What do you hope people, such as students, educators, communities, workers, gain by yesterday's counter-protest? I think that it provides a real opportunity for folks to talk to one another. I've received many messages from people who claim to be parents about their children, and I keep suggesting to them that they should talk to their children about the curriculum, about what happens at school, that they should get a copy of the curriculum and understand that some, that all of the lies they are being told by these extremists are in fact lies. There is no attempt to indoctrinate people at school. And look, I know this, I think, uh, perhaps better than others. I was raised in rural Ontario in a Catholic family going to Catholic school. Every book I read, every song I heard on the radio, every television show, every movie, everybody in my family, everyone I knew was heterosexual. And yet I am gay. I, can't, I wasn't indoctrinated, although I was surrounded. The mistake that is being made here, whether it be about sexual orientation or about gender identity, is that you can't change someone into something they are not. This is really about ensuring that our schools are safe for everyone, that they're welcoming for everyone, and that we have communities that are welcoming for everyone. CUPE Ontario represents about 300,000 unionized employees around the province. What does CUPE Ontario want to have happen? Well, I mean, we are an incredibly democratic union like many other unions. Of course, uh, the union movement is a very democratic movement. We hold an annual policy convention where members hold leaders to account, uh, debate our budgets, how our money should be spent, and pass policy resolutions. And I'm quite proud to say that for many, many years now, resolutions supporting us standing up against those who would try to spread hate in our communities pass unanimously in the defense of trans folks and queer folks against racism, against those, again, who would try to divide our communities. And the reason our members feel so passionately about this is because by and large people understand that as working people, we don't have the luxury of being divided from one another. The real challenge here is that while we've been spending time talking about falsehoods and lies, corporations are making a way like bandits. Corporations like GM are forcing workers on strike while they're making multiple billions of dollars in profit and paying their CEOs millions of dollars, $29 million a year. 
there's a real economic problem that we should be facing, the affordability crisis, the rent and housing crisis. These are the focus that working people should work on together, band together. These right-wing extremists want to divide us from one, one another, distract us into arguing with one another so that we don't actually take on the folks we should be taking on. The corporations and the rich are profiting while the rest of us are suffering. Here with his report about union events is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackouter. This week, our top stories section included links to the news that uh, Brazil and the United States have uh, an agreement to work together to promote decent work, a general strike against regressive labor law reforms in Greece, and calls by Education International, the Global Union Federation for Education Workers, for the release from prison of Iranian teachers' union activist Jafar Ibrahimi. A random sample from our news pages includes articles about the demand by African unions for the inclusion of workers in global debt discussions, the struggle of leather workers in Bangladesh. But my favorite pop story of the week came from France, where Apple Store workers are preparing for a walkout just prior to the release of the latest iPhone. On our Working Women news page, you'll find stories about the fight for harassment-free workplaces in the United Kingdom's television industry and how the lessons learned in that struggle in Lesotho are being shared with women workers globally. And, of course, we carried a large number of stories about this week's International Equal Pay Day. Stories appearing on our Health and Safety page and Newswire this week include lead exposure concerns being taken up by the Australian Electrical Workers Union, the deaths of 18 mine workers in South Africa, and the horrendously unhealthy and completely unregulated work performed by social media moderators in Ireland. Our current photo of the week is a shot of a banner displayed in Karachi last week as unions there marked the 11th anniversary of a garment factory fire that killed over 250 workers. On that banner are photos of many of the dead. Labor Start hosts online solidarity actions at the request of unions around the world. This week, we'd like to highlight an urgent appeal for online solidarity with a trade union activist in Iran. If you can spare just a few seconds, you can do your part in the struggle by sending a solidarity message. Look for details of this and other campaigns on our site. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now, here is the American folk singer Woody Guthrie with All You Fascists Are Bound to Lose. Well, I'm going to tell you, fascists, you may be surprised. People in this world are getting organized. You're bound to lose. You fascists bound to lose.
And that's it. Labor news you can use. I'm Mark Belanger. Thank you for listening. And remember. country.
I'll take you to a place called Italian Hall And the miners are having their big Christmas ball I'll take you in a door and up a high stairs Singing and dancing is heard everywhere I'll let you shake hands with the people you see And watch the kids dance round the big Christmas tree You ask about work and you ask about pay They'll tell you they make less than a dollar a day Working their corporate claim, risking their lives So it's fun to spend Christmas with children and wives There's talking and laughing and You ask about work and you ask about pay They'll tell you they make less than a dollar a day Working their corporate claim, risking their lives So it's fun to spend Christmas with children and wives There's talking and laughing and songs in the air and the spirit of Christmas is there everywhere. Before you know it, you're friends with us all. And you're dancing around and around in the hall. Well, a little girl sits down by the Christmas tree lights to play the piano, so you got to keep quiet. Hear all this fun you would not realize. That the copper boss thug men are milling outside. The copper boss thugs stuck their heads in the door. One of them yelled and he screamed, There's a fire. A lady, she hollered, There's no such a thing. Keep on with your party, there's no such a thing. A few people rushed and there's only a few It's just the thugs and the scabs fooling you A man grabbed his daughter and he carried her down But the thugs held the door and he could not get out And then others followed a hundred or more But most everybody remained on the floor the gun thugs, they laughed at their murderous joke While the children were smothered on the stairs by the door Such a terrible sight I never did see We carried our children back up to their tree The scabs outside still laughed at their spree And the children that died, there was seventy. The piano played a slow funeral tune And the town is lit up by a cold Christmas moon The parents, they cried and the miners, they moaned 
Break time now. Here's a little uh, Miles Davis who famously said, don't worry about mistakes, there aren't any. If we could get our uh, school children and a lot of adults to understand that when you make a mistake, that's pointing you in the right direction, taking away one of the things that's not the way. Let's just hit, uh, shift gears here for a minute. And honor Mexico. September 16th, 1810. Padre Hidalgo. Rest the people. Let's see here. Hidalgo came out and dressed the people. Viva Mexico, he said. Muere a los gachupines.
death to the Spix. Gachipin is a an insulting name for the Spanish who were ruling Mexico at the time. Very racist society. The entire society was engineered to give power to the owners, quote unquote, of the land and to extract the riches Mexico had gold and silver and other things. The whole system was encomienda, the way that power flowed downward. People who were the lightest skin all the way down to the pure Indian. See how this goes. It all began with a call, with Miguel Hidalgo y Costilla urging on the people of New Spain to fight for their independence. But history unfolds for a reason. Several events in Europe and America lead up to Father Hidalgo's call. The winds of freedom are sweeping through the world. A war of independence is being fought in the United States to free itself of England. And the French Revolution seeks to cast off the tyranny of the king. These wars reaffirm the right of all people to fight for their freedom, for equality, and the right to elect their own governments. In 1808, Napoleon Bonaparte invades Spain and takes Charles IV and King Ferdinand VII as prisoners. This unleashes a war against the French and brings instability to the Spanish colonies. At this time, New Spain is the Spanish Empire's most prosperous territory, but its wealth benefits the Spanish crown more than it benefits the colony itself, which angers those who live there. Several clandestine groups form to begin the independence movement. One of these conspiracies sets off the war. The meetings of Miguel Hidalgo, Ignacio Allende, Juan Aldama, and Josefa Ortiz de Dominguez in Querétaro are discovered. Hidalgo goes to the church in the town of Dolores and calls on the people to overthrow the government of New Spain. With a standard of the Virgin of Guadalupe as their flag, the rebels win their first victories over the troops loyal to the king, which are defeated in the bloody battle at the public granary, the Alondiga de Granaditas in Guanajuato. The rebels are unstoppable on their march to Mexico City, but after the Battle of Monte de las Cruces on the outskirts of the capital, Hidalgo decides to retreat despite his victory there. The independence forces occupy Guadalajara. There, they try to organize a government. They start a newspaper, El Despertador Americano, and they proclaim the abolition of slavery. But royalist forces under the command of Felix Maria Calleja follow in close pursuit. The two armies engage in combat outside of Guadalajara in the Battle of Calderon Bridge, where the rebels suffer their worst defeat. Fleeing north, Hidalgo, Allende, Mariano Jimenez, and Juan Aldama are ambushed and taken prisoners in Acatita de Baján, Coahuila. Later, they are tried and executed in Chihuahua. After the death of Hidalgo, another parish priest takes command, José María Morelos y Pavón. The high point of his military career is breaking the siege of Cuautla, where 7,000 of Calleja's troops had kept Morelos and 3,000 rebels under siege for 72 days. In addition to his military genius, Morelos is a visionary who seeks to provide the new country with a political organization. He assembles the Congress of Anahuac and reads there a document entitled Sentiments of the Nation. 
In Apatingan, Congress adopts Mexico's first constitution, which establishes the country's political structure and a division of powers into the legislative, executive, and judicial branches. But soon after, Morelos begins to lose his battles. In 1815, he is taken prisoner, tried, and executed. In 1817, the independence movement was losing momentum when a liberal Spaniard, Javier Mina, gave it new impetus by arriving in Mexico with 300 men to fight with the rebels. After a bold campaign, he is trapped and shot in the back, accused of betraying his homeland. An event in 1820 changes the course of history. Spanish King Ferdinand VII accepts a liberal constitution, which eliminates many of the political, economic, and social privileges enjoyed by the Spaniards living in the colonies. This accelerates the move towards independence in Mexico. Creoles, Spaniards, Mestizos, the indigenous population, and other elements of society all fight for the same goal, although for different reasons. The War of Independence ends when Vicente Guerrero, the most well-known rebel, and Agustin de Iturbide, a Creole at the head of the Royalist Army, seal a pact with the embrace of Acatempa. With the Plan of Iguala, or the Plan of the Three Guarantees, Iturbide proclaims the independence of Mexico. After 11 years of fighting and three centuries of domination by Spain, Mexico emerges as an independent nation. History belongs to everyone. Bicentennial of Independence. Centennial of the Mexican Revolution. The Mexican Government. That was the independence of Mexico. Iturbide turned out to uh, have imperial wishes of his own, proclaimed himself emperor and had to be moved. See if we can find some music to celebrate. The Downs. Qué lejos estoy del suelo donde he nacido 
inmensa nostalgia invade mi pensamiento y al verme tan sola y triste cual hoja al viento quisiera llorar quisiera morir de sentimiento Nakajika yori Suspiro por verte Ahora que lejos Yo vivo sin luz, sin amor Y al verme tan sola y triste Cual hoja al viento Quisiera llorar Quisiera morir de sentimiento
probando quién eres te reíste mal hombre tan ruin es tu alma que no tiene nombre eres un canalla eres un malvado eres un mal hombre
Okay, Viva Mexico. This is uh, 23rd. The 16th was the 113th Independence Day in Mexico. So we had beautiful Cancion Mexicana, a song that will make people break into tears. Sung beautifully by Rubio Mendoza. And then Mal Hombre, classic from Rubio Mendoza, who traveled around the labor camps southwest. Mal Hombre, bad man, but it's even stronger than that. Somebody like ex president. And then the great Jorge Negrete, idol of Mexican Mexicana. Así es mi amor. This is my love. I would like to be. Okay, meanwhile, what's going on? What's going on in the strikes? Two very significant strikes. And several smaller ones, by the way. What's going on with the regular working people who go on strike? We know what the strikers want. They want a return of some things that workers gave up. Things like a pension tiered employment. Here we go. Skip this. My favorite toy. April Kolzak's morning ritual hasn't changed. Your toothbrush, which one's yours? But providing for her three boys. Getting down to the bare minimum here. Just got much more difficult. I have to check my bank account every day. 
This third generation Jeep worker and single mom typically makes about 19 bucks an hour working an overnight shift at the Stellantis factory. Hopefully we get back to work. But with her plant now on strike, April has to figure out a way to live on her union provided strike pay. Just $500 a week, roughly half, she says, of what she's used to. It's not much when you have three kids. Oh, definitely not, no. <laughs> You're really tightening the belt right now. Yeah, yes. Every dollar, every cent is accounted for, whether it goes for food, electric, gas, rent. It's ketchup and hot dogs instead of having ketchup, hot dogs, and applesauce. You know, it's just like, it's like one less thing on the plate. No wheel! No Close to 5,800 Toledo auto workers are striking, and many face a similar financial strain. I'll be out there as long as, as, long as I need to. It's already squeezing neighborhood businesses like Zinger's Bar and Grill, located near the plant. Factory workers typically drop in for lunch or after their shifts. How much is business down? It's down probably about a good like 65 to 70 percent. Violet Wagner has been a bartender here for more than 30 years. I'm just praying that they come to some type of agreement and that it gets better. Because if not, I, I mean, I may have to look for other employment as well. <laughs> Beyond these picketers, Toledo is home to a network of auto suppliers that are starting to feel the impact of the strike. No justice, no with thousands already losing work. Local government officials estimate a month-long strike could cost the Toledo area economy about 36 to 50 million dollars. This is Toledo, it's a union town. We have a great history of supporting our workforce. County Commissioner Pete Gherkin shows his solidarity, having worked at this factory for 30 years. When these workers voted to go out, they knew that. They knew that. This, this was not a naive audience. Uh, and they are clever enough and resourceful enough. The local union is now building a food pantry, piling up donations for any struggling workers. I signed up for Instacart. Some, like Erica Mitchell, feel the need to line up temporary jobs in case the strike drags. I still want to find something else to do while my kids are at school to make a couple extra dollars to cover, you know, just surprises. You, with kids, you never know what can happen. And when I got in the Jeep, it was like, yes, finally, like my dad did it. My grandpa did it. Now I can finally give my kids the same opportunity. And like many of these workers, April says she's prepared to weather this short-term pain. Hopeful an agreement can be reached soon. It's only temporary. We're going to get back to work. That's, I try to keep that positive mindset as much as I can. And other communities could soon feel those same impacts if the union does, in fact, expand this strike, as the union president, Sean Fain, has said they could do in the coming days. Gabe Cohen, CNN, Toledo, Ohio. Here's the latest. Auto workers expand their strike to 38 locations in 20 states. Biden plans visit to show support. Let's see what this one is. Expanded their strike against major car makers. We have excellent support. I am so proud of everyone for standing up and coming out and supporting us and, and because they know we deserve better.
not targeting production plants. This could drag consumers into We're out here. The contract's up. You know, we're looking for job security, getting rid of the, yeah, health and safety issues. Um, in general, we got called. The president, the UAW, called our local to stand up and strike. Okay, so that's the latest of in the uh, auto workers strike. Um, how about the UA the uh, Hollywood? Take a look at that. Here's Fran Drescher, head of the actors. Thank you. Thank you, Duncan. And thank you, everybody, for coming to this press conference today. It's really important that this negotiation be covered because the eyes of the world, and particularly the eyes of labor, are upon us. 
What happens here is important because what's happening to us is happening across all fields of labor by means of when employers make Wall Street and greed their priority and they forget about the essential contributors that make the machine run. We have a problem and we are experiencing that right at this moment. This is a very seminal hour for us. I went in in earnest thinking that we would be able to avert a strike. The gravity of this move is not lost on me or our negotiating committee or our board members who have voted unanimously to proceed with a strike. It's a very serious thing that impacts thousands, if not millions of people all across this country and around the world not only members of this union, but people who work in other industries that service the people that work in this industry. And so it came with great sadness that we came to this crossroads, but we had no choice. We are the victims here. We are being victimized by a very greedy entity. I am shocked by the way the people that we have been in business with are treating us. I cannot believe it, quite frankly. How far apart we are on so many things. How they plead poverty, that they're losing money left and right when giving hundreds of millions of dollars to their CEOs. It is disgusting. Shame on them. They stand on the wrong side of history at this very moment. We stand in solidarity, in unprecedented unity. Our union and our sister unions and the unions around the world are standing by us as well as other labor unions. Because at some point, the jig is up. You cannot keep being dwindled and marginalized and disrespected and dishonored. The entire business model has been changed by streaming, digital, AI, this is a moment of history that is a moment of truth. If we don't stand tall right now, we are all going to be in trouble. We are all going to be in jeopardy of being replaced by machines and big business. Who cares more about Wall Street than you and your family? Most of Americans don't have more than $500 in, a, in an emergency. This is a very big deal, and it weighed heavy on us. But at some point, you have to say, no, we're not going to take this anymore. You people are crazy. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Privately, they all say, we're the center of the wheel. Everybody else tinkers around our 
artistry, but actions speak louder than words. And there was nothing there. It was insulting. So we came together in strength and solidarity and unity with the largest strike authorization vote in our union's history. And we made the hard decision that we tell you as we stand before you today, this is major, it's really serious, and it's going to impact every single person that is in labor. We are fortunate enough to be in a country right now that happens to be labor friendly. And yet, we were facing opposition that was so labor unfriendly, so tone deaf to what we are saying. You cannot change the business model as much as it has changed and not expect the contract to change too. We're not going to keep doing incremental changes on a contract that no longer honors what is happening right now with this business model that was foisted upon us. What are we doing? Moving around furniture on the Titanic? It's crazy. So the jig is up, AMPTP. We stand tall. You have to wake up and smell the coffee. We are labor and we stand tall and we demand respect and to be honored for our contribution. You share the wealth because you cannot exist without us. Thank you. There's an impassioned friend, Rescher, delivering a fiery speech <clears throat> near the beginning of the strike. The strike's been going on now for two months. What about our comedians? Let's see what she says. We learned um, scabbing comes at you real fast. Uh, oh, boy. Oh, wow. And that uh, bullying, when it comes to not crossing a picket line, apparently it works. And now we're pro-bullying, I guess, um, because uh, this week, both Drew Barrymore, uh, who has her show Drew, and um, <laughs> Bill Maher, who has his show, uh, I'm not relevant, are we? Like, whatever old that time. show. Old time with old, yeah. Bill Maher. <laughs> old times with boom like irrelevant boomer Bill Maher, um, <laughs> they both reversed course after saying that they were going to start their show up. In fact, Drew Barrymore started her show up. Let's start with her. We talked about it last week. Um, I looked into their net worth. They're all worth kind of, they're like Drew's worth 127 million. Bill Maher, 140, according to the oh, internet. Wait. Drew Barrymore is worth 127 million. Bill Maher's worth more. It's got to be more than that. She's been working since birth. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but these child no actors, way. they get screwed. I mean, she really is the victim. She has been the victim for luck. No, it's true. There's probably, she might have more homes than him. I don't know. But anyway, she uh, she announced that she was coming back last week. Then they started taping. They started, they were kicking out people who had like pins that were in support of, you know, the WGA. Um writers picketed the show and then she sent out this tearful video about how she was really sorry but she was still <laughs> going to film um and then life came at her real fast but just just so you know how 
cringe this was. And I don't know if you've been subjected to this video. I'm going to subject this oh, audience to this video. There's a huge question of the why. Why am I doing this? <laughs> well, um, I certainly couldn't have expected this kind of attention. Um, and um, we aren't going to break rules and we will be in compliance. I wanted to do this because, as I said, this is bigger than me and there are other people's jobs on the line. And since launching live in a pandemic, I just wanted to make a show that was there for people in sensitive times. And I weighed the scales and I thought, if we could go on during a global pandemic and everything that the world has experienced through 2020, why would this sideline us? <gasps> oh my God. It's, oh, this is why they need writers. Like you shouldn't, <laughs> totally. someone should have written this. This is, you're saying everything wrong. No, and <laughs> This then, is bigger than me? Yeah, bitch. It's bigger than you. <laughs> exactly. Precisely. A lot of people's jobs are on the line. Uh-huh. Yeah, Keep that's going. That's the point. You're almost there. <laughs> exactly. You're so close to thinking outside of your own fucking privileged asshole like it's just you're so close to empathy drew and you you really you were able to fake it on your show so good you know i feel like if she actually were at the picket line she'd like kneel down in front of all the strikers and be like oh my god you guys <laughs> tell me what it's like wow oh. so you just think of stuff in your head my god you know um but that was just a little slice. And it's so funny you say that because she opens the video saying, this is not, there's no PR here. And you're like, oh, we know. Because know. any rep <laughs> would tell you, don't put this video out that's now been deleted. It's also uh, like, it's also when you reveal that you're not a good actress, it's, uh, it's so funny to me because it's like it does feel similar and obviously it's more serious but equally funny in some ways when the imagine video came out in the beginning of covid when yes. all the actors were singing and it's like they think they're doing something good <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> we hate we hate this <laughs> usually yeah. tells you what to say and you just do that well you do that well but when left to your own devices you cannot act like a human being give me the mexican aliens <laughs> yeah, I mean, also, like, yeah. if you're a millionaire and you have the privilege of your own show, just sit the fuck down, man. You know, and that's what I'm saying. Like, there are a lot of A-listers who've donated to the strike fund. I think that's the move. But yeah. is, like, 127 million or 200 million or whatever she's actually worth, is that not enough for you? Like, what's going on here? Or you just so desperately want to be, you know, claim what you think is rightfully yours. Um, you're just, and you're so... Like, and I think in her reversal, people are being very kind to her. So she did actually back down. She said, I've listened to everyone and I'm making the decision to pause the show's premiere until the strike is over. I have no words to express my deepest apologies to anyone I have hurt. And of course, to our incredible team who works on the show and has made it what it is today. We really tried to find our way forward. And I truly hope a resolution for the entire industry very soon. That was written by a representative and by someone in 100. PR. Very smartly. It didn't say anything like, uh, what was it, uh, astute humility? 
fuck does that even mean? I mean, maybe it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> means nothing. So she's reverse course. Let's go quickly to Bill Maher, who, if you don't remember earlier, he has this, his own podcast called uh, Club Random. <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that what it's really Boomers called? smoking <laughs> cigars and drinking whiskey. Club Random. Hi. Well Club Random. Club Lit. Dude, this is like. It's like a like a father-in-law inviting you down to his like man cave and he has like a neon sign that says club random and, and then he like, sits you down and he's like and then he's just like so but what about these trans and you're like yeah. oh jesus fuck yeah and you're like i'm about to hear something racist here we go <laughs> so here he was um uh, speaking to um god now i'm blanking on his name you'll tell me this comic's name but uh he, his um, his thoughts. This was before he decided to come back, and then before he decided he wouldn't come back. His thoughts about the strike. Here's Bill Maher in Club Random. They're asking are, for a lot of things, like kooky, like what what I find objectionable uh, about the philosophy of the strike. It seems to be they have really morphed a long way from 2007 strike, where they kind of believe that you're owed a a, a living as a writer, and you're not. This, this is show business, this is a make or miss league. <laughs> you're owed a living to... Uh... There's Bill Maher and Drew Barrymore. And here's a little take on it by uh, Situation Room. Celebrities will walk your dog Strike Solidarity Auction. Not getting any sound out of it. I guess we'll have to scrub that one. Not going to happen. Okay. That's our look at the Hollywood strike and um the workers are standing tall. In both instances, at UAW and entertainment industry strikes. We'll see what comes out of that. These are big times for labor. No one is sort of turning around and looking around and seeing all these labor actions mentioned by Fran Drescher. This is a time. These are big strikes. These are thousands of people, tens of thousands. And their lives are on the line here. See, this is what we see. Marx pointed out that the employer-employee relationship is the descendant of the master-slave relationship and the lord and serf relationship. <clears throat> when workers go out on strike... They're not able to subsist. 
they unless they have savings, and not many people have that. You heard that. Most people don't have 500 bucks in the bank to subsist on. This is your food, your kids eating. Whereas the employers are, they're eating, their kids are eating. So it's an unequal relationship. And whenever you hear someone say that writers, that people shouldn't have the right to strike, remember that. Okay, it's the only thing that we have. The only thing that the bosses have is our labor. That we have to withhold our labor. All right, let's take a little break from that. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 2004. That was not a good day for hockey fans. The National Hockey League owners locked out the players. The owners and the players union could not come to an agreement on issues including pay, free agency rules, and drug testing. League owners also wanted to implement a salary cap. The Players Association objected. The first game of the season was supposed to take place on October 13th. But across the country, the arenas stood silent. As the impasse dragged on, in February, the league announced the season was canceled. The Associated Press reported, quote, A hockey season on the brink is now a season gone bust. The NHL canceled what was left of its decimated schedule Wednesday after a round of last gasp negotiations failed to resolve differences over a salary cap, the flashpoint issue that led to a lockout. The article continued, quote, no Stanley Cup champion will be crowned. The first time that's happened since 1919, when the two-year-old league called off the finals because of a flu epidemic. It was the first time that a North American professional sports league lost a full season to a labor dispute. Some of the players found work in the European leagues at greatly reduced pay. It's estimated that the league lost $2 billion in the lockout and that players lost a billion in salaries. The impact of the lockout rippled throughout restaurants and other businesses that relied on the hockey crowds, causing layoffs for waitstaff. Finally, in July, an agreement was reached. The players gave in to the owner's demand for a salary cap. In 2012, another lockout by management cost NHL players another half of the season. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1895. 
That was the day that Booker T. Washington delivered what came to be known as the Atlanta Compromise Speech, which outlined his vision for race relations and black labor in the South. Washington was the founder of the Tuskegee Normal and Industrial Institute, a college designed to train black students for careers in teaching, farming, and other trades. Washington was invited to give an address to the Cotton States and International Exposition in Atlanta. It was the first time that a black man was asked to speak before a black and white Southern audience. In his speech, he urged Southern landowners and business leaders to employ black labor over European immigrants. He said, quote, to those of the white race who look to the incoming of those of foreign birth and strange tongue and habits for the prosperity of the South, were I permitted, I would repeat what I say to my own race. Cast down your bucket where you are. He continued, cast it down among those people who have, without strikes and labor wars, tilled your fields, cleared your forests, built your railroads and cities, and brought forth treasures from the bowels of the earth and helped make possible this magnificent representation of the progress of the South. His speech outlined a plan for gradual black economic advancement. He declared, quote, agitation of questions of social equality is the extremist folly. Other black leaders, most notably W.E. Du Bois, rejected Booker T. Washington's idea of gradual advancement. Instead, Du Bois fought racial discrimination through the legal system and helped to found the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People the NAACP. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. I'm Rick Smith and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1977. That was the day that is remembered in Youngstown, Ohio as Black Monday. The Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company announced plans to close its doors, laying off more than 4,000 workers. Youngstown was a steel town. During the first half of the 20th century, plants were booming. Youngstown was also a union town, a stronghold for the United Steelworkers by the 1940s. But by the 1970s, the once booming steel industry was going bust in Youngstown. More and more jobs moved overseas and to states with less union protections. Black Monday began a devastating series of plant closings. Two years later, Briar Hill Mill closed, followed in 1980 by U.S. Steel. In 1985, it was Republic Steel's turn. By the early 1990s, the steel industry, which had once employed 40,000 people, only had 1,000 workers left in Youngstown. William Lawson, the executive director of the Mahoning Valley Historical Society, recalled the impact of the closings saying, quote, over the course of my high school career, many boys and girls I had known in grade school left, some in the middle of school years, most during the summers, as their parents accepted transfers to work in other plants around the country or lost their jobs and went out in search of employment elsewhere. In 1997, the Jeanette Furnace at the shuttered Briar Hill plant was dynamited, despite preservationists' efforts to save it. Bringing down the Sweet Jenny Furnace became symbol of Youngstown's economic ruin, memorialized in this Bruce Springsteen song. Here in Youngstown. Like what you hear? Check out more at laborhistoryin2.com. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1934. 
That was the day that leading Southern textile employers met together in Greenville, North Carolina. They met to plan a coordinated response to the national textile strike. The Great Depression had ravaged the textile industry. Workers were subject to the, quote, stretch out. Fewer workers were expected to work at a faster pace to produce the same amount of products. Work in textile mills was already grueling. The stretch out made conditions even more unbearable. Fed up, 20,000 Southern workers walked off the job in July. From there, the numbers grew. On Labor Day, 65,000 workers in North Carolina joined the strike. Strikers confronted scabs and moved to close down mills not participating in the strike. They also disrupted railroad traffic. In response, the National Guard was called out against the strikers. Violence erupted between the strikers and armed police and strike breakers throughout the South and New England. The Southern owners decided it was time to marshal their own response to the strike. According to historian Jeremy Brecker, an army of 10,000 National Guardsmen was mobilized in Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Alabama, and Mississippi, supplemented by 15,000 armed deputies. But despite this show of force, the strike grew. More than 400,000 textile workers had walked off the job. In response, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt's administration declared that the working conditions and wages in the industry should be studied. Although there were no guarantees for improvement, union leaders called off the strike. Much to the anger of many rank-and-file union members, one of the largest worker actions in U.S. history and one of the most important uprising of Southern labor was ended. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the... Okay, we won't be able to finish that last labor history in two. Time for us to get out of here. And uh, <clears throat> hand you over to Scott Walker. Good morning, Scott. How are you? Remember, if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. Remember, you don't have a seat at the table, a negotiating table, that is, where you work. You're on the menu. Remember, never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. Remember to tune in next week at 10 a.m. in the skinny Work and labor and love with the labor meets the Two hours of hour-long comedy on the radio and internet streaming live. <laughs>
2781 21st Street. Come down. Be in the audience. Dog friendly. Dog friendly. We are. Mutiny Radio is absolutely dog friendly. Ooh, a dog party. Ain't no party like a dog party. Dog party at Mutiny Radio. Every Friday, dog party at Mutiny Radio. Happy hour. 2781 21st Street. Happy hour. Mutiny Radio. Dot FM. Here. In Dot SF. Calling all crusties, punks, and poses. Pick your posteriors up off the pavement. Pack up your pins and patches and prepare to party. The Pacific Northwest Vest Fest returns this Saturday only at the SeaTac Expo Center. Whether you're a leather lover or just a denim demon, if you're looking to dress to impress for less, do not stress. You'll find all the best in pre-distressed vests right here at the Pacific Northwest Vest Fest. With over 40 vendors selling countless crossover styles, you'll find the perfect thing for your scene. Metal, thrash, Walmart, high-vis, and everything in between. All in one place. One day only. Unless it's a jacket. If you need a jacket, take your square ass somewhere else. Never pay for fabric you don't need and ditch the sleeves, but save the rest for the Pacific Northwest Fest Fest this Saturday only at SeaTac. Bring a can of PBR, get it half price. Daddy, Daddy, what are we going to do today? At 2 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon? Oh, over there at the parklet in front of Atlas Cafe for Titans of Comedy. That, that's Titans of Comedy. Apparently, they've got great sandwiches, cafe drinks, and even some of my favorite beverages, like beer, wine, and sangria. All the things I drink to forget your mother. My new Uncle Blake says you smell like a brewery. What did I say about interrupting me? Anywho, right here on 20th and Alabama in the Deep Mission, paired with tasty comedy from Bay Area's favorite comics. For free! Every Saturday. Or at least the two Saturdays a month that the court mandates have to see you. It's sunshine! And even in the drizzle, but not too much. And Daddy, remember after soccer practice when it was raining and you didn't come? I really don't. Anywho. You take it with the freezers. Reservations. Reservations on the vent right. Fucking. L-S-D. Fap. Acid and fapping. Fapping and acid. Acid fapping. Fapping and acid. Fap, 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 acid. Thank you. That song is called Acid and Fapping. Yeah. I have a report here, Henry, from your, uh, your chief nurse. 
Major O'Houlihan. She makes some accusations, Timmy. I, I find pretty hard to believe. Uh, the dude minds, man. Captain Curls up in the head. Mutiny Radio Festival, ahoy! Ah, very good. Ah, very good, legless Joe. I'm surprised you can see from the crow's nest with no legs. It's to get ready. Crew, the festival is upon us. Scurvy Steve, how many comics? Over a hundred comics. You're looking good, Scurvy Steve. Glad the scurvy hasn't taken you. Aye, aye, Captain. You, no liver Mary, how many venues? We've got nine venues, sir. And you, boy, what's your name? Very good. And finally, Eleven Fingers Sally. What about the tickets? You can find all of your tickets on Eventbrite, sir. Check out www.mutinyradio.fm. What is that? I don't know what a website is. I'm a pirate. <laughs> but but quick to the festival. All oh, sails ahead. Arr. Pirate noises. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Patrick Namaste. Every Monday at 6 p.m., it's Joke Workshop, streaming live on mutinyradio.fm. Lift the veil. Tapping an acid, acid tapping, tapping an acid, tap, 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 acid. Thank you, that song is called Acid and Fapping. Well, giving readings, 14 Moscow Road Osbert giving champagne parties, Sashi's got it cold Gertrude's hanging pictures, Alice making tea Me, I do the only thing that still makes sense to me I do the rock Sometimes they make love and art inside the Dakota Rodney's feeling sexy, Mick is really frightfully bold Me, I do the only thing that stops me going old I do the
prison feels exposed Built a Bogwat prison Nietzsche six feet under But this baby still got rhythm Einstein celebrating ten decades But I'm afraid philosophy Is just too much responsibility for me